Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi al-Nabi Mustafa. Khususan ala Sayyidi Rasuli wa Khatimi al-Anbiya wa ala alihi al-Azkiya wa ashabihi al-Atqiya. Amma ba'd. Insha'Allah, today will be our final session. As we complete the book of Shaykh Abdul Fattah, Abu Ghuddah, it's been such a beautiful, blessed journey covering this text. What I originally thought would be a resource for teachers and those in the area of education like myself and students that are here, hopefully one day that will also be teachers one day has turned out to be much more than that. We've had the opportunity of looking at the life of Rasulullah from a position of influence. Broadening that scope has now given guidance on parenting and um, being a mentor, having any sort of opportunity to play in another person's life, a positive role in another person's life, now reading this book, Alhamdulillah, may Allah reward the author When I was in Canada, a person came and said to me that the family members of Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Huda are aware of this class that you guys do and they really appreciate it. So I said to that person that in reality, um, it's our honor. His son, was very thankful. I said that in reality, it's our honor that we had the opportunity of benefiting from the words of the Sheikh. The truth is that we do this for ourselves. And if I were to be honest, the second intention that I have when I'm doing these lecture series is to start off and be from those who are creating a library of knowledge available for students in English. The What's ahead is actually your guys' job. You guys have to do more. You guys are the ones that need to fill out this area and make sure there's so much available so people can continue to learn the deen in every possible way. This gathering of ours is humble. And we ask that Allah gives barakah and accepts it. One of the brothers from Qalam, Abdullah, he was sitting with me this week. And he was telling me, he said, Sheikh, um, may Allah put barakah in this Rasul and Mu'allim class. Since we've started teaching it, alhamdulillah, on a monthly basis, 
on the Qalam podcast, it gets downloaded 850,000 times. 850,000 from over 112 countries. And I said to him, SubhanAllah, I had no idea. But what I do know is that before we start every I make dua to Allah that whoever can benefit, benefit from it, Ya Allah, take it to their ears. And those who don't need to be a part of this, save us from them, save them from us. Save us from fitna and the traps of shaitan. And those who you feel need this, it's your task to give it to them. And that is in reality what our what who we are. We're nothing more than the drain pipe. The water and actual the flow of it is someone else's. These scholars wrote the books and they took from the fountain of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and um, revelation from Allah subhanahu wa taala. What we are doing here is being pipes for the drain. And it's uh, a blessed place to be. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always keep us in these gatherings of ilm. And allow the ilm that we study to benefit us and penetrate our hearts. So with that, inshallah, we'll start our last session. The author titles this chapter, Ihtimamuhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bita'alimin nisa wa wa'adihinna. In our last session, we covered this towards the end. Today, while, while teaching Mishkat al-Masabih, this was the same discussion we had. And at the end, I said to the students, before we ended class today, you guys will remember, that imagine the state of the ummah. Try to see the world from where I'm sitting. And there's a dream, and that dream is not only are the men in the community serving the deen, but we have not utilized all the women in the community to serve the deen too. I'm talking about at the front line, engaging with the community at every level. Alhamdulillah, the sisters have always been engaging, but now imagine that from a place of thoroughly grounded in the deen. That from the top of their tongues, they're able to reference every Quranic ayah, every hadith, and every ibarah and text of the fuqaha, and engage at every single level, and contribute the way it is their right to contribute. Try to see the benefit that would face our daughters, uh, our mothers, our sisters, the community at large would grow together. We need to step out of this false paradigm of gender politics that we've been forced into. Islam has no place to be there. Islam is not interested in that. It is unnecessarily, forcefully being thrown upon us. We believe I found this ayah to be the most clear ayah in explaining the role of men and women in the eyes of Allah. And that is that as far as gender goes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't increase someone's rank or decrease it based off of their private area or their chromosomes. That's not what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing. Your gender creates diversity in you, giving you the opportunity to work off of one another, work together. Ultimately, your belief in your good deeds. And if you have both of those, Jannah is yours. Sayyidatun Isa, Ya'ala, Jannah Fatima. 
leader of all the women's in Jannah, all the women in Jannah, Fatima radiallahu anha, one of the earliest to enter into paradise, Fatima radiallahu anha. Without doubt, the companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us that understanding. So there were specific So in relation to this, he narrates the riwayah of What is the also narrated. When we're in gap, they have the voice, they're closer, they're proper. You know, we can ask what we want to. So and so day. He approached and he taught them from what Allah. Um, a mother who's a pain this situation. So the prophet Nini with Nini with 
look to as well to understanding that it wasn't just a matter of miscarriages. No matter how much the child drives her crazy, no matter how much that child has caused her stress and led her hair to going gray and all the wrinkles on her face, someone asks her, where did this come from? She points at her child, this one right here. This is the one right here. Because of him, this has all happened. But that mother still loves her child. It's unconditional. So when she loses her child, and bear in mind that in that time, it was actually common for people to lose children. Um, there was still so much to be learned about medicine and illness and human health and ways to preserve and so on, preserve life. So it was common for people to lose children, very common. And imagine the common, this pain, this stale pain that existed in society. It was just there. It was a pain that people didn't talk about. The number of kids mothers had buried and fathers had buried. So Rasulullah addressed that. This is important in terms of education. First of all, addressing the issues of women. And that's, I've, already, I've covered this issue in the last class. But the second thing is, keep your hand on the pulse and try to understand what are common things that people are hurting from. And give them hope, guide them. When a child passes away, you can't do anything dunya. From a, from a worldly perspective, that person has left the dunya. That's the end of that. Their affair is closed. So Rasulullah um, the carrier of wahi, was able to open up a window of the akhirah for them. That look, there will be a barrier for you on the Day of Judgment. Just be patient. Look for reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And similarly, there are matters like this in our community that we'll see that there's a common pain. Within younger folks, there is a burden that people carry of image specifically in the younger girls in the community. Address the issue. Give them hope, give them strength. Don't fall into the slavery of one Botox shot here, another Botox shot there, sniff this, cut this, do this, do that. Don't fall for this nonsense. Within guys, there are their own issues where there's unfortunate, you know, this expectations that, and also not just that, sometimes in our communities, it seems as if Men are no longer even respected for being men. And there's a whole movement in our, that, that you'll see uh, in the community of men not even being promoted or encouraged to be like men. They are told to be closer to the feminine gender. And it hurts. There are guys that you'll find in the community who are being told and they feel the pain of not being allowed to embrace their gender. And women are the same. It's a part of this gender politics that we have going on, that women are told not to embrace theirs and men are told not to embrace theirs because gender is just a massive construct. So as a result of that, when a person is now in the, in the arena of looking for a spouse, it's hard for them to find someone that they can relate to, someone that they appreciate, someone that, they're gonna, that will accept them for who they are and live with them. There are these pains that exist in the community. It's people struggling to find spouses to get married to. If I were to tell you the number of people that I meet on the weekly who come and say, Sheikh, I'm looking for a companion, where do I go? In some of those cases, you might say that these are young people 
their parents don't approve of them getting married because they're still very young. But that's not true. In many cases, those very same parents are saying that we want our daughter to get married. We want our son to get married. But we're worried that because of this, this, this issue, no one will be interested in them. And years pass by and those people are frustrated and lonely. When in reality, all they're looking for is a companion to, to um, you know, cover this path, this very lonely, difficult, sophisticated path of the world. They just want someone to be there by their side to help them get through it. Unfortunately, in some cases, there's uh, a tremendous amount of abuse that occurs in their life. So now that marriage is ahead of them. They're hoping that marriage is what will protect them from the abuse of the house that they grew up in or the abuse of the friends that they were surrounded with or the abuse of just colleagues in life. They're looking for that company and that peace. There's a lot of pain in our community, unfortunately. Within the elders in the community, you'll see that people are crumbling with the pain of debt, financial debt, just burdening them. And they're so deep into it that they're not even sure what to do anymore. What can I do? I have $80,000 to pay and I clearly don't have the income to make the payment. What am I going to do? And for those of us who have the ability to pay that debt off or at least some light at the end of the tunnel, be thankful to Allah. One of the things Rasulullah would seek protection from was Oh Allah, save me from being in a place of debt where I'm just surrounded by it. And there are those people that are married and they're struggling with their marriage. Who do they talk to now? In a lot of pain. There are those who have children that are struggling with their children just as children are struggling with their parents. There's a whole you know, just generation of parents that are frustrated with their kids. They don't know what to do anymore. And to make the situation more complicated, in some cases, their children have taken a path that brings a lot of hurt to their parents. A lot of hurt. And those parents are trying to understand how did this happen? How did my child get addicted to uh, heavy, hard drugs like this? That they're just, they've lost themselves. Was a mother that I know. SubhanAllah, I don't know what material Allah made her from. She put her whole life on pause. It's been almost 15 years. How many years almost? 15 years. Her child, unfortunately, got onto some heavy drugs. And she asked me, and I kind of gave her some advice, and I also referred her to some counselors and therapists to guide her. But she made her mind up. Her mind was that I will be by my side until my child overcomes his problem. 15 years, she hasn't spent one night away from him. 15 years, she hasn't spent one night away from him. She didn't go to visit her own mother because she said, I can't go unless I take my son with me. Without me, he'll struggle. I need him. I need to be the one that gives him the medicine with my own hands and wakes him up for salah and puts him to bed after 15 years. There's this pain. Who do you tell? Who do you tell in the community without people judging you and throwing you under the bus? We ask Allah for guidance. And here we see Rasulullah he, he addressed that issue. He addressed those issues. 
in those moments giving people hope, where there were worldly solutions in addition to the dua, Nabi and it was a matter that the taught them, prepare for the Akhirah. And you must always remember, and this is the Qaida in the Quran, you do good, Allah will not waste you. Allah will take care of you. Just be patient. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you. Just have ihsan. Do a, ihsan is doing above and beyond. Going above and beyond. That's what ihsan is. Doing it in the best way possible. Yes, go ahead. The next chapter. Chapter 37. This is fascinating. We talked about Rasulullah temperament, the Prophet softness, his character. The teacher, mentor, parent needs to understand that your task is to use all the tools available to help the one that you are engaging with. And sometimes it's a smile. Sometimes it's by taking them out for tea. Other times it's playing sports with them. Sometimes it's there to advise them. Sometimes you read Quran with them. Sometimes you read Hadith with them. But other times, what do you need to do? Huh? You gotta admonish them. You gotta turn that anger up. You gotta be a little tired. That maybe saw some turning away sometimes as a tool of education. When there is a need. When there is a need. That's the thing. I one thing I've realized is that if you use anger to discipline someone, and they understand what you're doing, and that anger is preceded by love and compassion, they will welcome that anger and it will do its job. It will help them. It'll leave behind a very good memory. A memory they will cherish and that they will share for days to come. Rasulullah used some firm language when talking to Sayyidina Abu Dhar al-Ghifari he kept asking, wa in zana, wa in sarak, wa in zana, wa in sarak. The Prophet of Allah said something, and he wasn't sure that, are you really, this, really? And the Prophet of Allah said, whoever says, la ilaha illallah will go to Jannah. And he said, everyone? And he kept asking that question. Whoever says, la ilaha illallah will go to Jannah. Whoever says, and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam at the end of it, when he kept persisting in, 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 in asking the Prophet of Allah, the Prophet of Allah said, ala raghmi anfi abidhar. Right? Even if you don't want it, or even if it means that you're, Nose is put into the ground, that will happen because Allah has decreed for it to happen. That's a rough statement. I usually tell the students that if that was me and I was narrating this hadith, I would narrate the hadith without and skip that part. It's not relevant to anyone. That really doesn't benefit anyone else, that statement. Because he's just telling people how the Prophet gave him this love burn, like a burn, but it's embedded in love. Right? But why? For him, it was a badge of honor. He understood the one that was reprimanding him was someone that loved him. So he took it just like that. 
imagine the joy he must have had that the Prophet expressed his, his statement, a little harsh statement towards me. That means that he cared for me. This appreciation will only be there if you've, from the person that you're expressing that anger towards, if you've built a rapport and relationship with them. If your anger is knee-jerk reaction, if they can see in your eyes that in reality your anger is misplaced, that you are angry at something else, not with them, the crime does not match the punishment. When they see these things, that this is just a grumpy guy that's always shouting anyway, and today I got caught on the crossfire, they won't respect it. Rather, sometimes without even verbalizing it, their heart may make dua against you. Maybe out of other, they won't say anything, but their heart will say, what a horrible human being. Maybe he had a tough day with his wife at home and he's coming and dropping it on me. That's a situation. People are, you know, they, they have frustrations from their work, from school, from dealing with friends and employees, from the masjid. They come home, the guy dumps it on the wife. The wife is frustrated, she dumps it on the children. The children have no one to dump it on, so they internalize it. And hence, where our mental health issues come from. It's just piled up, piled up, piled up frustration. Who do you talk to? Who do we go and tell the pain that we're dealing with? So the Prophet ﷺ, he used anger, but it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. This you have to remember. Specifically, those of you that are parents and teachers, you have no right, I'm being very clear, zero right, to use anger against your children unless it is absolutely by your choice. The way I like to think of it is this way. When I say by your choice, meaning you've designed it, you've planned it. The way I like to think of it is like this. If I'm going to use anger when interacting with a student or when I'm going to express anger towards my child, before I say a word, I have to quickly turn to my heart and say, are you angry in this moment? And if my answer is yes, I won't do it. Because anger is in front. I have to close my eyes and say, are you angry in this moment? And only and only if the answer is, no, I'm not angry. I'm not angry right now. I'm frustrated, but not angry. Okay, now go ahead and use anger. Even better? No, no, do it tomorrow. Let this moment pass by. Because the only way change will come in my child or my student, hopefully, is if there's ikhlas. If there's no ikhlas there, then there's no point to any of this. Allah won't bring change based off of my filthiness and my insincerity. I have to make dua to Allah, and it has to start from a place of purity. And we know, Just as aloe. You know aloe is? What is it? A plant? Very bitter. Very bitter. It's so bitter. Can you imagine anything spoiling the flavor of honey? Can you? Like, what does it take to spoil the sweetness of honey? Nothing, right? I mean, you can mix honey almost into anything. It's so pure and beautiful. You can mix it into anything that tastes good. You can mix it into chicken. Then that chicken now is some honey barbecue chicken wing. You know what I mean? It tastes good. It might be a little awkward, but you can't destroy the... the, the it's very difficult to destroy the, the honey flavor. I mean, yeah, honey flavor. Kama yusudu sabiru Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, however, aloe is such a thing that it really spoils the flavor of honey. 
and such anger destroys a person's life. So here we're learning about using anger as a tool, but it is very important that you understand what that means. It has to be on your terms, and I would even say you have to be confident in that moment that this anger is purely for the sake of Allah, for the sake of that person. If I'm just going to shout at my child whenever I'm in a bad mood, or I might justify, but he did this wrong, he did that wrong. Question is, are you angry because he did something wrong, or are you angry because this is going to help you help him become a better person? They're two different things. If you're angry because someone did something wrong, that's a you problem. You sort out your problem. But if I'm going to use anger for tarbiyah in this moment to help them become a better person, now you are a good human being. This is a beautiful thing. But just bear in mind, don't overuse the anger card. It'll burn the other person out. It'll hurt them. What people learn through muhabba and love tends to stay longer than what they learn from anger. I know a young man who buried his father. He said to me, that Sheikh, I love him, but I can't wipe away all the hard things that he said to me during my life. All the disrespect this man gave me. I can't wipe it off. He's buried. He's my father. I want to love him, but I can't. I want to feel sad, but I can't feel sad the way I want to. I know I'm supposed to be sad, but I'm hurt. On one side, I remember the man who held my hand and got me through life, but on the other side, I see a person who I remember crying because of many days. What do I do? So I said to him, that when a person leaves this dunya, you must slowly learn to let things your father to be in trouble because In the Akhirah, be happy with one another. Because we to you. Can we not agree that our fathers all you guys that they may have not never the Hanafi crew Trimping crowd fighters.
buy it for us. And these are expensive, by the way. I don't know if that section where they're they have seafood. Side. So it's a matter of human being you are. In this dunya. Young. You know, I was telling you that mercy comes when you I used to, I used to, we were in my, I was, I, life. them all a task. I said one day there my Because it was profound and these kids were broken that their parents had never told them these things and yet there was this long story of all the sacrifices those parents had made. There was one father who said that he carried his child after his child got hit. They were playing some sport, his child got hit, he was bleeding. So he said, my father said he carried me to the hospital two miles. He didn't call the ambulance, nothing, he just walked with me. He held me in his arms and he walked for one or two miles and took me to the hospital. I didn't know this. Rasulullah would become very angry if a student transgressed by delving or questioning about a matter which was beyond the limits. Imam Tirmidhi narrates on the authority of Abu Hurairah who said, Rasulullah came to us while we were disputing about predestination. He became angry till his face turned red to the extent that it was as though Pam. Uh, Pomegranate seeds were bust open on his cheeks. Now the pomegranate seed, what color does it have in it? It's dark, right? It's this dark uh, dye. If you, if you pop a seed and it, uh, it gets on your garment, what happens? It seeps in. He said that was a sort of 
look that would come on the face of Rasulullah. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would uh, be upset, the Sahaba, they say, we can see it on his face. I mean, he carried it on his face. There was a vein that would appear in the middle of his forehead. There was a vein right here that would appear in the middle of his forehead. And his face would change color. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then he said, Yes. A few Sahaba are ordered to learn the Syrian language. Yeah, so the translation of that previous one is Abihada Umirtum. The Prophet said, Is this why I was sent to you? Is this what you've been told to do? To sit here and argue about predestination, whether Allah knows everything or not, but Allah doesn't know what's the point of living if Allah has already written everything. Is that why I've been sent to you? And one reward the Prophet of Allah said that focus on your deeds, not what Allah knows, but Allah doesn't know. You have freedom in your actions, you get to choose. So focus on that freedom and choose the right thing and make good decisions and focus on building your a'mal for the akhirah. And the Prophet said, Azamtu alaykum, Azamtu alaykum. Like, it's almost like he's saying, promise me. I give you a commitment. I'm putting this upon you. Azamtu, azamtu alaykum. Allah That don't argue about qadr. It's a matter of iman. Trust Allah and focus on your a'mal. So here we see Rasulullah using anger. I think the, the best example of Nabi using anger, not the best, but one of the most clear and elaborate ones, is the narration of Ka'b bin Malik. The companion who was from the three that did not participate in the Battle of Tabuk. And their participation was not backed by a legitimate excuse. So when Rasulullah returned to Medina Munawwara, he was angry. And Ka'b bin Malik describes that anger. And the beginning of the story, he says, when I confronted the Prophet ﷺ, there was a line of people, everyone was coming one by one to the Prophet of Allah, presenting their excuses. When my turn came, it was just, no one is between me and the Prophet of Allah, and the Prophet of Allah said, Ta'al, come to me. Nabi smiled at me, but it wasn't one of a person that's happy, it was one of a person that is angry. Wow. Smile full of anger. The Sahaba had a close hand on the pulse of the Prophet of Allah and he knew what was happening. And then he spoke his truth. Nabi Sallallahu admitted he had spoken the truth. This guy has spoken the truth. Then he said, Go. He dismissed him and there was a boycott. No one was allowed to talk to him for almost 50 days. And at the end of it, when his bara'a was revealed and Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala had forgiven him for his wrong along with his other two companions, as we see in the ayat of Surah Tawbah. When he was informed, he said the person that came, that gave him the news, he took his garment off and gave it to him. Then he had to borrow garments to go and meet the Prophet You know, like when, you, when your emotions like beat you, like his, his emotions were like way ahead in that moment. So then he shows up and then he says that I met Rasulullah and when I met him that day, he was sitting in the masjid, that was after Fajr Salah. The first thing he says is the Prophet smiled at me. And when he smiled and was happy, his, fight, his face shined like a bright moon. That's the smile that he missed 50 days later. <coughs> that smile, that's where the whole Qisah starts and then it ends with 
this smile of Rasulullah sallallahu And then Ka'b bin Malik says, I was tested for speaking the truth the way Allah tested me for my truth. Because he could have lied when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa asked him, why did you not come to Tabuk? But he spoke his truth. He said, I spoke a truth and as a result of my truth, Allah tested me in a way that no one has ever been tested for speaking the truth. I think he's right actually. Because his test was the Prophet of Allah not speaking to him for 50 days. And Allah knows if there is any test in the dunya as great as that. That Rasulullah turns his face away for 50 days. He had every motive. This man was tested in a way that I don't think most people would have lasted. They would have said, you know what, forget this, I'm going away too. I don't want you. I won't talk to you. Go, you do your own thing. Like He could have done that. Never. And he says that one, the Romans actually found out what was happening and they tried to lure him. Said, Why don't you come and join us? We heard your companion has, has turned against you. What did he do with that letter? Huh? He ripped it and then what did he do? He tossed it inside the tanun, inside the oven. I don't want this letter. He said, this is from shaitan. Did I would Billah moved on? Yes, go ahead. We also have the riwayah of Rasulullah using his anger to reprimand Mu'ad um, ibn Jabal for leading that salah long. Yes, go ahead. Writing as a means of teaching. One of Rasulullah's teaching methods was by means of writing. Rasulullah had more than 15 scribes who used to write down the Quran as dictated by him. He also had scribes who were specifically designated to write letters for him to various lands and rulers, conveying to them the message of Islam and inviting them towards it. Other scribes were designated for further tasks. The following were some of the scribes who, who used to write down the Quran as per Rasulullah's dictation in his very presence. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, Zayd ibn Thabit, Ubayd ibn Ka'ab, Zubayr ibn Awam, Khalid ibn Sa'id, Adan ibn Sa'id, Ibn, ibn Al-As, Hamdala ibn Rabir, Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, and others One thing you have to keep in mind, side note, that you know how people, some people, Allah protect us all, they speak ill against Muawiyah First of all, you can never speak ill against any Sahabi. End of discussion. End of discussion. I don't know why, yesterday, some video popped up in my feed. I need to purify my feet. It's been infiltrated. <laughs> Sheikh Abdul Nasser gave me this advice. He said, every few days, what you need to do is go into your social media and type in random words like cone, socks, winter. So this, this detoxes the feet. Otherwise, it gets carried away. Well, feed you katifli inshallah. Musaidi said that about the nafs. That's how the feed is. If you just let it be, it turns into a monster. It starts showing random videos. So my Facebook feed, it showed me a video of one guy. And in the video, he's saying that, you know, oh, what's this problem with Sunnis? They keep talking about Sahaba, Sahaba. There are no riwayat regarding the Sahaba. I was like, what? What do you mean there's no, no riwayat about the Sahaba? He said, there are only the riwayat of Ahlul Bayt. We should only respect the Ahlul Bayt. And the Sahaba are overrated. I was like, man, someone really missed the train. 
this guy didn't have any coffee today. Like, what do you mean there are no riwayat regarding Sahaba? You know how absurd of a statement that is? But you, you don't get it. Do you understand how absurd of a statement that is? Not only are they not riwayat regarding Sahaba, there are ayat of the Quran regarding Sahaba. You might say that these guys made up all these ayat, all the hadith. That, that I'm assuming that's the claim, right? That these guys made up all these ahadith. But you can't make up the Sahaba and the ayat in the Quran regarding them. There's so many of them. How many do you want? I was so baffled by this person's stupidity. And I was thinking to myself, because of the way this guy shot this video, it's very fancy and HD and all the, he had some music, very emotional music playing in the background, like soft, like volume two or three, where it appeals to the emotions. I was like, man, people probably believe this stuff. They, I, I wonder if, they, if, if anyone has objection to this. So Muawiyah people they also say ill things about him. First of all, he's a Sahabi, which means end of discussion. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Is that clear? Once a person is as a Sahabi, our position is to keep our tongues pure from attacking the honor of any Sahabi. Look, if you don't have a lot of good amal to present on the Day of Judgment, make dua to Allah who give you Jannah, but don't attack the Sahaba. Rasul said, Whoever loves their companions, in reality, it's because they love me. And vice versa as well. But what's important to know, not only was Muawiyah a Sahabi, which is already enough, I've made that clear, which is, that's enough, there's nothing else to say. But if we wanted to add another layer, he was from the Khawas to a degree. Because his name... Shaykh Abdul Hayy al-Kattani rahimahullah ta'ala while putting this list together um, while, while putting this list together of scribes of hadith he lists among them Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan that Rasulullah sallallahu used this man's hand to write revelation it's a very big deal yes go ahead when any revelation of the Quran used to come down, Rasulullah would summon them and they would report it as dictated by him. It has also been established that Rasulullah permitted some of his Sahaba to record this hadith. In fact, he ordered some of them to do so. Imam Dawood narrates on the authority of Abdullah ibn who said, I used to write down everything which I used to hear from Rasulullah. In order, to, in order to memorize it. I have a student like this too. She takes notes in the class, she writes everything down. So I have to be careful in that class. You have to the other go home. <laughs> Otherwise, one day if these guys decide to publish these notes, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> I'm just joking. Let's go ahead. We had one classmate like this too. When the shirt used to sneeze, he used to write sneeze. <laughs> I believe he was flexing. He was trying to make a point that I can write this fast. Yes, go ahead. But Quraysh then stopped me from doing so and said, Are you going to write down everything that you hear when you know that also? Fanahatni Quraysh, meaning the seniors of the Quraysh, they said to this young companion, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Asadi, Allah. 
أتكتب كل شيء تسمعه. You can write on everything that he writes. Everything the Prophet says, you're just going to write it down. ورسول الله بشر يتكلم في الغضب والرضا. And the Prophet وسلم, is a human being. He speaks when he's angry. He speaks in a state of anger and also while being pleased. From their perspective, they were just trying to protect him from doing something that would cause harm to the deen of the Prophet of Allah. Don't write everything down. What if Rabbi Sallallahu Alaihi says something in a state of anger that you shouldn't write down? So Abdullah bin Amr ibn As says, then I start writing. فَذَكَرْتُ ذَلِكَ لِرَسُولِ So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He said, I mentioned this concern of the Quraysh to the Prophet of Allah. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi pointed to his mouth and said, اُكْتُبْ فَوَالَّذِي نَفْسِ بِيَدِهِ مَا يَخْرُجُ مِنْهُ Nabi Sallallahu pointed towards his mouth and said, Write, for by the one in whose hand lies my soul, only the truth exits from this. مَا يَخْرُجُ مِنْهُ Only the truth exits from this. Even when I'm angry, I will only speak the truth. From here we see how Rasulullah is telling the Sahaba to write it down. So this question that these things that these guys say, oh, hadith wasn't written until the third century, it's a judah. These are all lies. These are objections that these people made against hadith to create doubts in the hearts of Muslims. We have clear evidence and proof that hadith was written from the time of Rasulullah Not one documentation, but many documentations. And then after Rasulullah passed away, والسلام, the Sahaba then utilized every tool available to them to preserve the hadith. Look, as Muslims, do we believe the Qur'an was preserved? Yes or no? The reason why the Muslims preserved it is because they believed it to be revelation. They believed it to be important. So why would the Muslims stop preserving hadith and only preserve the Qur'an even though they viewed both to be important in forms of revelation? Why? This is like, for example, someone has two pairs of, he has two, two slippers and he leaves one outside, one inside. Why would you do that? You need both of them. You need both of them, right? So why would you, why would the, are the Muslims that thick? That they thought, you know what, let's just preserve the Qur'an and forget the hadith and we'll deal with the backers later on of not memorizing the hadith and not preserving the hadith. This is impossible. The fact that the Muslims, by the fall of Allah, why shouldn't we say the Muslims? Credit is where it's due to the Sahaba, the Dwanullahi They are the champions here. The rest of us, we're just in line. The fact that the Sahaba, the Dwanullahi at the command and teaching of the Sulaiman, preserved the Quran and Hadith for us, today we're benefiting and drinking from that fountain. That's their doing. Otherwise, what would we know about any of them? Okay, go ahead. Now there's a question, should a person, you know, um, rely on writing as a form of preservation? There are both sides to the argument. Some ulama, they quote the statement, that knowledge is a prey, and how do you catch your prey? Usually you throw a net over it, right? How do you catch your knowledge if you're, face, if you're racing it, trying to catch it? Huh? Write it down. When you write it down, you've caught the knowledge. Now, on the other hand, you have other ulama who did not like the fact that people took writing down as the primary method of preserving knowledge and the main method, the only method of preserving knowledge, all three of these words. They didn't like these things. Because the earliest generation 
of Muslims relied on preserving knowledge through actions. And they felt this is the right way. Otherwise, your deen becomes a book in a library. That's not what Islam is. Islam is not a book in the library. It's a living tradition that exists in the hearts of every Muslim. That's what Islam is. It's a living tradition that beats in the heart of every Muslim. Similarly, they say regarding Imam Muhammad al-Ghazali that once he was traveling, some robbers came and they stole his knowledge. He had all these books, all these scrolls that he wrote. They, they stole it all. So he went home and told his mama, Mama, they robbed me and they took all my knowledge away. His mama said, what a shame that someone can steal my son's knowledge. Man, that's a tough mother. I think some of us might have a similar experience growing up. <laughs> so then he said, when my mama gave me that tough love, I then said, you know what? That's not going to happen to me again. He then memorized all of his knowledge. So writing down is good. But we all know, at least in our day and age, with the number of files that we have, what happens to what we write and type up? Huh? It just disappears into the drive. It makes its way into the drive. We are at content, at peace, knowing that it's been registered in the drive and Allah knows what's going to happen there. That file will never be found again, even if you search for it. It'll just be gone. Right? So don't give too much attention to writing as well. I was once in a dars, and uh, Allama Khalid Mahmoud he was a chief justice in Pakistan, by the way. He, he was in England, and he was visiting us in Chicago. So he was giving a dars to some ulama, I was there. So I'm one of the guys that writes. I, I, I don't necessarily write to preserve, I write to process my thoughts. That's how it works with me. I like to write because it helps me make sense of what I'm learning. And I get to note down some points. So I was just writing. Alama Saab, he got angry. He goes, what's this you're writing in class? You lazy people. I'm not calling you guys lazy. You guys keep writing. I'm telling you, he said. He got angry. Put your pens down. He really got angry. And he said, you lazy people. I was like, man, he's calling us lazy? I thought the guys who didn't write were lazy. The guys who are writing, how are you calling them lazy? But he was an alama, very intelligent man. Very intelligent man. So he explained, he said, the reason why I call you lazy is because what a talibul alim is supposed to do is listen without any distraction when the teacher is speaking. And then after the dars is done, they're supposed to sit and make notes. But you guys are lazy. You don't like to sit after the dars and take notes. So you take it while you're sitting in front of me. I won't tolerate this laziness. That was a perspective. You guys understand? That you're supposed to sit down and, and gather everything you gain. And after, so after that is the half an hour, you sit in front of the half an hour to make sure you capture it all down. May Allah shower his rahmah on the rahmah of the shaykh. So there are two perspectives here. It's good to write too, but don't let that be the reason that you miss out on the experience of seeking knowledge. Just also learn to internalize and take it in. There's a whole uh, science behind taking notes. Yes, go ahead. A few Sahaba are ordered to learn the Syrian language. Imam Bukhari and Imam Tirmidhi narrate on the authority. This is chapter number 39. We have 40 chapters, 39. Nabi Sallallahu taught the companions to learn Suryaniya. He taught them to learn foreign languages. Because they were necessary. 
They were necessary in this context because that was a language that the Jews used for their contracts in their documents. And Rasulullah had a significant Jewish community population in his community. So to engage with them and to understand that there was clarity in the contracts and there was no misunderstanding, he had Zayd bin Thabit learn the language. Zayd bin Thabit killed it. For those of you that you think that you're smart because you learned Arabic in like two, three months and that you know, you know how to do tarjuma and tarkib and some basic. Zayd bin Thabit figured out the language in two weeks. That's a genius, huh? That's a genius. I barely figured out how to play FIFA in two weeks. That's with the grind. That's me trying really hard, you know, like uh, pressing the, the circle instead of the square and pressing the X instead of the triangle. And they're like, Abba, stop it, stop it. Just stop pressing the shot button. <laughs> and Purizawan Sikli, he learned the whole language. On that note, when it comes to learning languages, this is very important. Learning how to speak and articulate yourself properly is important. My dua is that the future Muslims who are in our communities and who serve the deens more specifically, they develop mastery in their languages, specifically in English. When I look at the work of the earlier scholars, name a scholar whose name you've heard of before. Imam Ghazali, name someone else. Anyone? Imam Shafi, oh God, these two examples are perfect by the way. Right, these two are perfect examples. And you'll name others and they'll fit in as well, but these two that you guys named, Imam Ghazali, Imam Shafi, one thing about the scholars of the past was they all had pristine language. Regardless of what they were writing, there was no broken language. Imam Ghazali is Ihya, if you just read the introduction to every chapter, it's a piece of art. I don't need to look at the live stream, but we have Imam ARB, Sheikh Abdurrahman Bashir just joined us right now. And he's an example because this guy literally is Imam al Al Masjid here. When he, uh, when he does his dars, he, he did a Jummah khutbah, he did an Eid khutbah once in poetry. The whole thing was English poetry. It's hard work. It's effort in language, making sure that there's proper presentation. Putting hard work and effort into it. You mentioned Imam uh, Shafi'i rahimahullah. I mean, who doesn't know about Imam Shafi'i's language skills and how good they were? So we need people who in our community also develop mastery in language. You know, earlier today, I was speaking with Saad al-Rahman Murphy. We were just sitting in the roots and I was having some coffee with him. And um, he asked me, he said, what would you like your kids to do when they grow up? Would you like for them to be scholars and deans and whatnot? So I said to him that after the kids finish off their Tahfiz al-Quran, which I hope Allah allows them to reach completion, after they finish Tahfiz al-Quran, as far as it comes to whether they become scholars of the deen or not, I would love for that. But I'm not sure if becoming a scholar requires seven years all at once. Alhamdulillah, there's a model that's created that allows students to take some years full time and other years you piece them out and finish off. I would love for them to maybe do the first two, three years full time to build a ground, build their foundation. And the rest of it, if they took one period at a time while doing college and getting through life moving along, I would have no problem with that. I would actually think there's benefit in it, that you spend more time with it. 
like some of the students that are here taking one period. You'll finish in 10, 15 years, but there's God in the end. Are you trying to run a race or something? There's no race. Take your time, study your ilm and grow in knowledge. This way they can grow in whatever they think is best. He said, well, if they asked you what courses to take in college, what would you say? So I said to Ustad Murphy that I would truly like for my kids, if I had a say in this, I would probably encourage them to do something in the liberal arts. Because a person who studies the liberal arts, there's finesse to that human being. If it's done right, it creates, it irons out that human being, the way they speak, the way they think, the way they present themselves. Learning how to use logic in your, in, in your speech. We need a lot more of this. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. And, you know, just a plug in here, I think it's a benefit. May Allah reward the folks at Zaytuna College who have created an undergrad liberal arts program for students, Muslim students, to go and study. You know, that fits our, our narrative and paradigm, fits within the ethics of our religion. May Allah reward them. Yes, go ahead. So this is all language. Imam Bukhari and Imam Tirmidhi, they narrate on the authority of Kharij ibn Zayd ibn Thabit from his father Zayd ibn Thabit who says, Rasulullah ordered me to learn some words for, for him from the language of the Jews. He said to me, I take an oath by Allah that I do not trust the Jews with my letter. Before half a month could pass, I learned the Syrian language. After I had learned it, if he, if he had to write any letter to the Jews, I used to write it for him. <laughs> And if they wrote to him, I used to read out their letters to him. To Allah. That's done. Okay, yeah, you can read it. Tirmidhi said that this is a sound and uh, sound and authentic hadith. Al Amash also narrated on the authority of Tabir ibn Ubay from, from Zayd ibn Tabir, saying, Rasulullah ordered me to learn the Syrian language. Utilizing foreign languages for teaching, inviting, and propagation whenever necessary is, pro is proven from the Sunnah of Rasulullah. This was one of the teaching methods of Rasulullah. Languages, guys, languages. It's not just about languages, it's about means and modes of communication. Even in poetry or in video form or picture form or you know, all the different modes that exist on social media whatever it is, as long as it's a pure mode, use it as well. Understand it. We need Muslims who understand these things. So if the Muslims do arrive at that doorstep and they need to cross that bridge, they're able to do so. You know, it amazes me. How many folks do we have in the Muslim community globally involved with IT? It's laughable, right? Isn't it? Like, like, the, the, like we are the IT joke. Like if there was an IT joke without us, that would be a that would be an incomplete IT joke. I'm surprised that as an ummah, with all the IT talent we have, we still haven't ran SEO on base Islamic language. Do you guys understand this? Like we haven't properly done the SEO on even the Prophet's name. Most Islamic terms, when you throw them in the in, in the search engine, who wins the SEO there? Huh? <laughs> One step at a time. It's non-Muslims. No, not this. I'm not being <laughs> Sorry. 
I'm just saying it's usually non-Muslims who, 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 who win the search engine optimization. Trust me, I'm not lying to you. You can, you can put in Islamic terms into, 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 the, uh, into Google and you'll find some Christian website. How is that possible? How is that possible? And don't tell me it's organic traffic. Nonsense. I don't believe it. I don't believe it's organic traffic. Someone's ran some optimization here. You guys vibe with that, what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? I'm surprised that Muslims haven't done this yet. We need to own the search engine. We need to own it. That search engine needs to be ours. And if it takes money from the Ummah, we do it. If it takes talent from the Ummah, it must be done because this is, the, this, is a, this is a digital language. One that I have no familiarity with, but those who know it, know it. You should move forward and use this language to teach the, teach the, 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 the beauty of Islam and the deen of Rasulullah Yes, go ahead. The Sahaba learned languages to defend the honor of the Prophet of Allah and to make sure the deen propagated. Learn the languages that are ahead of you. Go ahead. Today, languages are, are the key to universal sciences which have become necessary because of the close proximity with non-Arabs and Europeans. Languages are keys to healthy relations between nations. They have become vital for mutual cooperation, which has become essential in life. Languages are also important for the safeguarding of a person's rights in his uh, intercourse with other nations. Sheikh Sabiuddin al-Hili, who knew several languages, said in a poem, the more languages a person knows, the more he is able to benefit. These languages come to his assistance at the time of calamities. Hasten then in learning new languages, for every language in reality is another new when difficulty happens, those languages that he knows, So quickly go and learn languages. That's beautiful. Every language in reality is a human. It's a person. It's a new ta'bir. Yes, go ahead. Chapter 40. The last chapter of the book. Ta'alimuhu bidatihi sharifa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Go ahead. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam teaches through his noble personality. Rasulullah was chosen by Allah Ta'ala to teach humanity his religion and his final and eternal sharia. There is nothing more valuable in the sight of Allah Ta'ala than his religion. Hence, he chose the best of prophets and messengers, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to spread and teach it. Allah Ta'ala chose him to convey his sharia to the people, to teach them via his conduct, his speech, his manner, his words, and his various teaching methods. His perfect and noble personality also served both as a method and a sublime example for every other teacher. A teacher must strive for the perfection of his personal self, his intellect, merits, knowledge, wisdom, appearance, elegance, manners, movement, silence, kind speech, sweet scent, clean clothes, striking appearance, beautiful manner of speech, behavior, and management of affairs. May Allah give us all this, inshallah. May Allah give us all these things. 
that in order for a person to be a good teacher, وَمِنْ أَهَمَّ الصِّفَاتِ الْمُعَلِّمِ أَنْ يَكُونَ فِي ذَاتِهِ مُتَكَامِلٌ مَحَاسٍ عَقْلًا وَفَضْلًا وَعِلْمًا عَقْلًا فَضْلًا عِلْمًا حِكْمَةً مَنْظَرًا رُوَاءً لَبَاقَةً لَيَاقَةً حَرَكَةً سُكُونًا Even in movements, you have to measure it right. وَطِيبَ حَدِيثٍ وَذَكَاءَ رَائِحَةً Even your scent should be good. وَنَظَافَةَ ثِيَابَ Yes. All of these things that we mentioned, Rasulullah had all of them in the most complete form possible. That was his that. That was the being that we're talking about. Yes. Through his noble and exemplary, exemplary, exemplary personality, he serves as a teacher for every other teacher and educator. He is an embodiment of the ideal teacher. His various methods attest to this. These methods are directed at, at, at a Muslim and guide him to be an embodiment of the words, you are the best of nations chosen for the people. This all-embracing perfection of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The, the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's example was and is and will always will be an inspiration for anyone that takes the seat of influence. He says here, Anyone that's a guide or a teacher, they will find it all gathered in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Um, one Urdu poet, he says, Jab unke gulamo ke darbar Jukte his salati ne adam Ab koi bataye aqa ke darbar ka alam kya That if his teacher, his students, Jab unke gulamo ke darbar, if his students, his servants, his slaves, the likes of Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, his students, if the emperors of the world came and, and sat in front of his students humbly, imagine the aura and the amazing nature of the gathering of Rasulullah what influence was there. If they had such a great influence, imagine their teacher. Iqsimte Ali, Iqsimte Umar, Abu Bakr, Idar, Uthman, Udar, in jag magataro me mehtabaka. On one side you have Abu Bakr, on one side you have Umar. Iksimta Ali, Iksimta Umar. On one side you have Ali, on the other side you have Umar. Abu Bakr either Uthman or On one side you have Abu Bakr, on the other side you have Uthman. Imagine the gathering with these four giants, big pillars sitting there. In Now imagine you're looking at this beautiful sky with these beautiful shining stars. Jagmaktara means like a shining star. Now you're looking at these skies and you're looking at, you're looking at the sky in, in amazement of these stars. Now all of a sudden the whole moon appears. You were just sitting there saying, man, Imam Ghazali is amazing. Ah, oh, Imam Ghazali, Imam Ghazali. Now imagine Rasulullah. Imam Ghazali ceases to exist and turns into dust 
when the nur of the Prophet of Allah shines on this earth. And everyone that followed that tradition before and after. This is the person that we gain, we came here and we gathered to speak about. فَهُوَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ تَتَّمَثَّلَ فِيهِ غَايَةُ التَّعْلِيمِ بِأَسَالِبِهِ الْمُخْتَلِفَةِ Everything that we know about education in terms of how it should be conducted with perfection was gathered together. فَهُوَ تَتَّمَثَّلَ فِيهِ غَايَةُ التَّعْلِيمِ Everything gathered together in his name. عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ لِأَنَّ كُلَّ تِلْكَ الْوَسَائِلِ وَالْأَسَالِبِ تَتَوَجَّهُ this all embracing perfection, Rasulullah uh, entered his various teaching methods to the maximum. His noble personality has received the highest, most magnificent, and unique praise, and is fully emphasized by Allah Ta'ala. You are certainly on an exalted standard of character. It is not surprising, therefore, that he had so many noble teaching methods. Is there any teacher apart from him, from him, from this noble messenger, sallallahu and great prophet who had who had such a great impact on humanity and whose religion and sharia people embraced despite their various complexions in languages? They further accepted him as their guide and exemplary model in all aspects of life. With these few words, I decided to conclude the teaching methods of Rasulullah sallallahu I placed the pure seal of musk to perfume the previous pages so that the methods came to, to 40 in number. And all, uh, and all praise is due to Allah, the sustainer of the world. And with that, we complete the 40th chapter of the book. The author then shares a few closing remarks as he finishes the book off. Yes. These are a selection of examples of Rasulullah wasallam's teaching methods by means of which he guided mankind. They are, they are accordingly not an exhaustive list as it was not my main aim to mention all. Undoubtedly, one who researches and studies the hadith of Rasulullah in his noble biography will come across many more methods than, than those mentioned. It was not my main aim to mention all. I sufficed with those that I came across by pure coincidence in the course of my reading and studies, in hope of receiving inspiration from Allah Ta'ala to do good and develop sincerity and receive the intercession of the leader of humanity, Muhammad Sallallahu I ask Allah Ta'ala to be pleased with this effort, Ameen. accept it, and Ameen. to grant me the noble opportunity of being able to follow the sunnah of Rasulullah I ask him to be pleased with his noble sahaba and those who follow them in virtue until the day of resurrection. All praise is due to Allah, the sustainer of the worlds. Alhamdulillah. Pray that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala gives barakah in what we studied. May he allow us to act upon what we learned. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give the full reward to the author and all those that were involved in preserving this knowledge for us to benefit. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow our ummah to grow as a community in his obedience. May he draw us close to him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always keep us in these gatherings of knowledge. Pardon us, forgive us for our shortcomings. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to seek this knowledge with adab and ihtiram. And may he allow this knowledge to be a means of our salvation in the hereafter. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.